0: This is Sandy Clough and Chandra Tar on Mile High Sports.
1: Down passes. The last six games, this defense has only given up four touchdown passes. And as you said, tonight, golf has five. That's a, yeah.
0: Bad news for the Never Broncos. That town from NFL Network. Five touchdown passes from Jared Goff. The Lions, after a first period that ended 0-0, the game sort of fell apart. The Broncos lose 42-17 to in a game uh, going away that the second half, I guess, was closer. It was 21-17 to <laughs> at the score. But by that point, when you go into halftime down 21-zip, uh, it doesn't matter all that much. For the Broncos the Broncos fall to seven and seven they are still 500 but the destiny that was in their hands prior to the game on Saturday is no longer in their hands and it is probably fair to wonder if you're a Broncos fan now that you've faced a team that was at more or less as much as anyone else is in this season at full strength not with the quarterback with the flu. Not with the guy. Not with the guy. Not with the backups. True.
2: Not with all these
0: other True. situations one of that the are coming few about.
2: Quarterbacks in his thirties who has stayed healthy all year. Russell Wilson's another one. Correct. And Dak Prescott is the third. Although Dak Prescott probably felt yesterday it would have been better to stood in
0: bed. Yes, but the uh, situation there for for golf. Great game, obviously for him. the
2: The Lions. Sandy I, Lost one of the top ten quarterbacks in the league, hands down. I think one so. One of the top he has 10, been, and one of the steadiest. Now, I, you know every quarterback, especially this year, has had some ups and downs. But if you look at where he ranks across the statistical spectrum, uh, seventh, third, seventh, seventeenth—that's interceptions. That's not good. But seventh, sixth, twelfth, uh, third hardest quarterback to sack. In the league, right? Because he gets rid of the ball he on get time. Rid of it quickly, listen. Uh, the Detroit Lions went back to being the Detroit Lions uh, the other night, and the Denver Broncos went back to being the September version of the Denver Broncos. It it struck me,
0: Sandy, that a few we we've, we've watched this over the last few weeks, right? and We know that the Broncos came into this game with a uh, a porous running defense, and it's been that way all year, and it had gotten better in in recent weeks, but. In multiple uh, recent wins in the 6-7 of streak that the Broncos have had, we had actually questioned why opposing teams went away from the run. They didn't need to. Cleveland, first and foremost, uh, among those stands out. The Lions had no such issue. Now, Goff passed for five (laughs) touchdowns, but they were more than happy. The Lions were to get it done on the ground. Jameer Gibbs, 11, carries for 100 yards and a touchdown on the ground. 9.1 per David Montgomery. Oh, ho-hum, of 17 carries for 85, only five yards per carry. Now, this was simple. They just went with their two their their sort of committee, their two guys. Uh, Gibbs and Montgomery, the only the guys that had any carries. Goff doesn't run the ball. 28 for 185, 6.6 6 per on the ground. Well,
2: that's the number of the jumps. They continued Ow. to, to get anything
0: they wanted. I mean, keep in mind, Goff, who had a great game, a great game, averaged 8.2 through the air. You do wonder, for the Broncos, teams that have good running games, why do they even bother passing it? Because the Broncos right. simply don't have the ability to well, consistently because, stop because the run. Because you can't
2: score if you don't pass. And it, other teams have run on the Broncos during this period, Worked okay haven't run, run often enough, night. but Detroit was ahead the whole game, and right. they still threw 36 times and mm-hmm. only ran at 28. Uh, I mean, it really was the, the passing that got them on the board. Five touchdown passes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they they had uh, one rushing touchdown. That was from Gibbs, but Gibbs also caught a touchdown way. pass. Right. I, I would submit that Gibbs, who caught uh, only two passes all night, still caught one of them for a touchdown. Right. And, you know, he only ran it 11 times. He had a 100-yard game. Montgomery, if he runs it 20 times, probably gains 100 yards too. If you're giving up, And I know these two guys have a shot at 1,000 yards. Each of them do. Broncos just helped them a bit. So it's a beautifully balanced running game, but the Lions really don't run the ball that often. And I guess if you're gaining over six and a half yards per carry, you don't have to.
0: Three more games left on the season, Sandy. David Montgomery now has 855 yards rushing and 10 touchdowns. Gibbs has 792 yards rushing and 7 touchdowns. Touchdowns. I mean, 50 it,
2: yards a game will do it.
0: It's and, and, for, uh, for each of them. Yep, more or less. You know, a little bit more for that for Gibbs, but basically, yeah. I mean, it sounds like that's that's all all they really need. And keep in mind, uh, these guys have missed time. Montgomery's only played in eleven games. Gibbs has only played in
2: twelve. True. I mean, on average, they they both blow past a thousand yards. I'll tell you, it, it, we described them on Friday. Uh, Montgomery, more of a slasher, and Gibbs, more of a scat back. but. Montgomery is strong. He is powerful. He punishes tacklers. And you know what? Gibbs can run between the tackles Mm -hmm. just fine. They can
0: do both. They really can. So
2: it's not really thunder and lightning, although I suppose there's a stylistic distinction to be made between the two. Yeah. But it it was embarrassing how, how easily they ran, not so much how often they ran, but how easily they ran against the Broncos. Very Whenever they few times to. where they even
0: touched until they got no. to the second level of right. defense. exactly That's right. not exaggeration. Exactly. I mean, untouched.
2: And, and so you, you you could have given up a 100-yard rushing game to Montgomery. You did give up a 100-yard rushing game to Gibbs. You gave up a 112-yard receiving game to St. Brown.
0: And you gave up three touchdowns to and LaPorta. And you
2: gave up three touchdowns to LaPorta, who had five catches for 56 yards uh, on top of the... Uh, Three touchdown catches he made. He caught two other passes that hurt uh, the Broncos. Uh, Jamison Williams, four for 47. Fine game. Reynolds, two for 41. Fine game. You uh, can go up and down the they line. They kind of
0: did what they, they wanted. They
2: spread it around. And I guess, in a manner of speaking, the Broncos did too. But again, another game in which the Broncos failed to have a single 75-yard receiver. And the running game was embarrassingly Impotent. The yes. offensive line was awful in every respect and across the board bad. Uh, P. Ryan, the leading rusher, with 37 yards on six carries. No one else had more than 27 yards, including Williams, Mims, Wilson, and McLaughlin. And then Williams
0: with 12 carries, 2.3 per along yeah, of 12 for 27. I mean, yikes! For 27. And, and you're right. The offensive line bad on on. Bet, I mean, blocking again. We saw one of those times where Russell Wilson, you know, one, two, three, hike, run for your life. Uh, completely uh, guy's completely untouched uh, obviously you don't expect many people to be able to handle Aiden Hutchinson who is an, an extraordinary player but well
2: it, it, in recent weeks though people the, have been The Broncos
0: him gave up in this one and another weakness i think exposed on the Broncos offensive line delayed blitzes in which the Broncos had an immense trouble anytime the anytime the line sent a delayed well, the, blitzer, the, 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 it was the free
2: reign were, we're rushing people Safeties from fifteen, 15 yards, yards back. past the line of scrimmage. Yep, and they were getting they were getting to Wilson effortlessly. They very were never touched. They were never touched, untouched. And they were getting there because obviously they built up out of speed, and no one, no one stood in their way, even to. Oh, nobody even graze them on no, no. the way. They were untouched. By. They were untouched. running completely free. And this free. happened over and over. Free rushers coming from everywhere, over and over and over again. And uh, I know the Broncos, you know, McGlinchy missed a few plays the other night, but boy, I I thought they were no worse off with Fleming in there for the few plays. That
0: I, he, I'm hard pressed played. to disagree with you.
2: McGlinchy yeah. was terrible.
0: He had a bad um,
2: Miners didn't have his best game. No, we'll get to that. Cushenberry, Powers, Bowles. I don't think anybody I mean, stood Bowles out. Bowles was lucky that he didn't give up two or three sacks mm-hmm. the other night. The Broncos actually uh, yielded, I believe, only two sacks in the game. That's correct. Only but two. that does more on Wilson than the, line. the story of how much pressure Wilson was under throughout the evening, both on the field and apparently on the sidelines, too, in a very public way that we'll discuss momentarily. Well, yeah.
0: I mean, let's talk about that because, obviously, you know, later in the game – Again, you know, that there hasn't, apparently the Broncos haven't had a loss that wasn't Russell Wilson's fault, at least according to Sean Payton, who finds some sort of new ways to uh, embarrass his quarterback with regularity. In this case, we're talking about, a you know, a position later in the game where a successful play was called back because Quinn Miners had lined up uh, slightly off sides. And uh, ticky-tack, maybe, but against the letter of the the, the law,
2: yes. Yeah. And, and I know, I, I don't blame the officials, by the way. No, it's, a, a number of people have written and talked about this. I blame Walt Anderson, who's the head of officiating, who for some reason about a month ago got it in his mind that offenses were lining up offside all over the league and they would crack down on that. Now, with Tony, the most publicized situation, it's really it's obviously kind of cheap, too. it was true. Right. Obviously, it was true, and he probably got away with being offsides a few times earlier in the game. But they're calling stuff now, and not just in the Bronco game. I was watching Red Zone yesterday, since there wasn't a Bronco game. Right. I watched Red Zone all day. I I did switch over to Fox for Dallas and Buffalo, although that wasn't a competitive game for very long either. And I, I'm watching, and there and it, it, there is obviously something that has been mandated by the league that they start calling penalties. You know where it comes from? It, 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 I can
0: tell you right where it comes from because the league got embarrassed a few times and they cracked down on it. It was slightly different, but uh, again, slightly different. Kadarius Tony, just clumsy. Pay attention to where you are. Right. On the other side of, of the ball, usually for the Chiefs, is right tackle Jawan Taylor, who early in the year was, right. was lining up offsides intentionally oh, to take advantage of, of angles and things yeah. like that. Uh, it was not an accident it was an intentional thing by Taylor and the league other teams got upset about it's so the defending champs yeah and their guy was basically flouting the rules and the NFL decided to crack down all but as over the, the NFL league, it, is
2: want to do it completely overreact it overreacted
0: instead of just kind of doing what they actually were doing because after a game or two referees were just flagging Taylor to the point Taylor was complaining every week but everyone just kind of shrugged their shoulders and yeah well we're all watching you line up off sides but you're right they they decided to overreact um Does that normally go by the wayside? Yes, it does. However, is it technically against the rules? Yes. Also, yes. Yes. And so there's only so much to complain about, but Sean Payton decides to publicly excoriate Russell Wilson. Well,
2: he got on the officials first. He did. And then he went to Wilson. The officiating complaints made sense to me. Whether you believe that they got in once, twice, twice. Three times. I, I don't know. They got in the third time. It was just the penalty was called to take the play back. Burton scored. Everybody knows that. Right. But McLaughlin might have scored. I do think I I look as many times as they show the replay, I watch it, it closely. And I, I also have a lot of respect for uh, Gene territory, who I think mm-hmm. was their man. The other night it was a CBS crew on the NFL Network, so it gets very confusing. Here. Right, it was Harlan and Trent Green, and Sterator is, is the rules guy for CBS, so he's on the NFL Network the other night. He said, "You know, Williams' knee did go down before the ball crossed it. It, it may have. Uh, so, I mean, that's debatable. The funny thing but is that, and, well, Anyway, it's yeah. it's justifiable for the coach to go nuts. And I'm listening to our friend Dave Logan on radio and Dave Logan is saying when Peyton sees these calls, he's going to go bananas. Logan never said a word about when Peyton gets through with the officials, he's going to blast Wilson for this, that, and the other thing. Coaches yell at quarterbacks, sometimes publicly. Quarterbacks yell at coaches, sometimes publicly. Usually... It is obvious as to why one is yelling at the other and or the other is yelling back. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about Phil Sims and Bill Parcells. Boy, that they, was a they Monday to talk night about that game yeah. in Indianapolis back in the late 80s, 89, 90, may, may have been 1990. I can't remember. Sims came off the field and mouthed off at Parcells, and they captured everything with a Monday Night Football camera crew on ABC at the time. Sims initiated it. Parcells turns around and tells Sims, rather profanely, to go sit down on the bench. He wasn't yelling at Sims, as Keyshawn Johnson tried to claim today. Totally mischaracterizing. I guess Keyshawn Johnson figures he played for Parcells so he can make up stories about Parcells and Sims. Hey, Sims has a lot of stories about Bill Parcells yelling at him, just like Bill Hanslick has a lot of stories about Doug Moe yelling at him. You know what Sims did? He yelled right back. You know what his teammates did? They respected the hell out of Sims for yelling right back. And if he hadn't, he would have lost respect for his teammates. So would Hanslick. You know what Hanslick did? Yelled right back. Gave as good as he got. That's not what happened the other night. No. Because that's not Russell Wilson's temperament to yell back. But then, to top it off, Mr. It's None of Your Business told a bald-faced lie when he was first asked about it and said, Oh, I was just complaining about the officials. As if anybody who saw him screaming at Russell Wilson is going to believe him With a finger
0: that. in his face. Right.
2: So the only other thing you could imagine is that Wilson maybe didn't wait long enough to allow them to challenge, but Peyton said after the game he had no intention of challenging on a spot call because those never get reversed. That's... Him talking. Right. That's what Peyton said. Peyton also said his exchange with Wilson was about the officiating calls. As if, as if
0: he's mad at Wilson about the refs.
2: So that's Wilson's fault, or Wilson is supposed to apparently grab Quinn Miners by the back of his helmet you know what, and yank he him, him back. Yeah, that was see, that's the part. I, I at What point? I, I mean, I don't know what he was doing. At what point is the quarterback- following his usual precepts? That if something goes wrong, it's everybody else's fault, but Sean Payton. Did
0: in all the defenses that Andy Reid had that he had to walk back with Kadarius Toney being offsides last year. got fine. At what point did he blame Patrick Mahomes for not getting <laughs> Kadarius Toney back on sides? Do you recall that? Because I might have missed it. I'd have not that's what and that's where was I wondered, blaming Wilson yeah, for. But I mean but a, he was
2: blaming him for something. Right.
0: At a certain point, like what is not is there anything that is not the quarterback's responsibility? When it comes to a Sean Payton team, like anything, right? What are you well, supposed to do? Look well,
2: at if you're if the quarterback is Drew Brees. Do you remember? I, I heard that argument today too. That's ah, just the way Sean Payton is. He yells at his quarterbacks. Name one time in fifteen years he yelled at Drew Brees publicly like that. Like that? Like that? I can't recall. Not once. one. Not one. Because there wasn't one. And people in New Orleans say he never yelled at Drew Brees. One of my favorite Vince Lombardi stories comes out of the very early 1960s. In the first two or three years, Lombardi was in Green Bay, and he had doubts about Bart Starr as a starting quarterback. But by process of elimination, he ended up with Starr. But he wasn't really a Starr fan. Didn't really trust him. And this happened 1960-1961, uh either right before or right after the Packers had won their first championship. And they're on the practice field and star throws a pick and Lombardi starts cursing him up one side, down the other, just going on and on and on. And star takes it right. This is on the practice field. This isn't in public. Mm-hmm. This isn't being videotaped after practice star goes to Lombardi in a way you could never go to Sean Payton knocks on his door Says, can we talk? Lombardi says, fine. Come in. Shut the door. Come on in. Starr says, listen, you want me to lead this team. You can't chew me out in public that way. In front of it, he didn't say in public. He said, right. in, front in front of, of my the, teammates, right. if you expect me to lead those very people. Right. He's, if you want to call me into your office after practice and yell at me, for 45 minutes or whatever. You can do that right. in private. And one of the commentators said today, I think it was Keyshawn Johnson, who said, well, what Parcells used to do, he'd read me out in public and apologize in private. And first of all, I never remember yeah, Parcells ever being described as having apologized to anybody, anybody for ever. anything, right. anytime.
0: Sean Payton, chip off the old block.
2: I'm sure Sean Payton quietly apologized to Russell Wilson. First, and Richard Sherman properly spoke up at that point on the FS1 set of uh, Undisputed uh, this morning and said, well, wait a minute. You, you don't yell at somebody in public yeah. and then apologize in private, even if that's what happened, which it almost certainly did not.
0: Yeah, this is obviously a, a, a challenging situation as the team is finds themselves, you know, back at five hundred, lost control of their, their playoff destiny, and now yeah, that that's the argument that I think you have to look at that how does Russell Wilson lead if your coach is continually blaming you in public for the problems. And you know, when he comes to the media He did it earlier in the when year. when he too. comes to the media says, Oh, that that yeah. wasn't it, blah, blah, blah. But the point that Wilson is making or I shouldn't say Wilson is making, but as you were talking about with Bart Starr, that he was making, is that I wouldn't care what you say to the media about it. The guys on the sidelines saw it. Of course they did. The teammates saw it. Of course they did. Richard Sherman, who last year had no problem piling on Russell Wilson. And has never been a Russell Wilson fan. Had no problem piling on Russell Wilson had a very interesting discussion uh, point about this today. We'll hear from Sherman and talk about what we think it means next on Miley Sports. I do you think I'm gonna get along with that, too? And I'm gone.
1: Took me for everything that I had and kicked me out of my own. I am satisfied. I'll... How dare you say that, mommy? It is unacceptable.
0: Sandy Clough and Sean Tar, Presented by Superbook Sports Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com Here's Sean and Sandy
2: Rush will take it himself and it is a touchdown On the quarterback sneak Russell
0: Wilson with a touchdown there for the Broncos. Another uh, rushing touchdown for the Denver Broncos on the year. They don't have very many. Most of them uh, are, well, from Russell Wilson. (laughs) So, uh, Russell Wilson finds himself in a spot now where he is uh, not, I I don't know what to say about, about Russell Wilson here because we know he's got a thick skin. He's been hollered at multiple times this season. Uh, Sean Payton is all but blaming twice somebody. very publicly, right? And earlier in the season, post game, kind of had the blame for losses pinned on him right. by Sean Payton, right?
2: True. Y- you would have to look long and hard to find unambiguous words of praise issued by Sean Payton with respect to Russell Wilson. You'd have to look especially long immediately and after again. To find unvarnished, unqualified praise of Russell Wilson delivered by Sean Payton. I challenge anyone in our audience, you can text in. Yep, 303-831-1340 is that number. You can call in. Give me an example. I could have missed something he said that was laudatory. But if he said anything truly laudatory, not obligatory, laudatory about Russell Wilson, I missed it, and this season has been going on for 15 weeks now. Not a word of unqualified praise from the coach, but two public outbursts against the quarterback, and in neither case did the quarterback strike back. Tom Brady would have struck back. Phil Simms would have struck back. Russell Wilson's not. Because they both did. During their playing days. Johnny Unitas would have struck Mm -hmm.
0: back. We know John Elway. Bart Starr,
2: mild-mannered Bart Starr, went to Vince Lombardi and stood up to him. And Lombardi said, you're right. And never again was Starr yelled at by Lombardi in front of the team. The problem with this is... Pretty well established,
0: especially when you're talking about coaching in 2023. Today over at Fox Sports 1 on Undisputed, uh, Richard Sherman, who last year about this time was complaining and pointing out that Russell Wilson was essentially bound to fail because Russell Wilson's own challenges had led him to where he was in Denver. So, as you pointed out, not a guy that at least uh, ever since Russell Wilson left the Broncos has had any, has missed any chances to pile on, right? They are not friends. But here's what Richard Sherman said about Sean Payton's tantrum on the sideline in russell wilson's face
1: that's not the way to coach him. that's not the way to coach really any quarterback that's definitely not the way to talk to a veteran quarterback in national football league who's who's actually played pretty well for your team this season i don't even see usually when you're that upset and you're that animated it's clear for to everybody to the world what was wrong right then i mean i'm looking at it i'm looking at what the ref's looking at and i don't see a guy lining up off sides so I'm not sure what you're calling out on Russ. He turned around, handed a ball off, probably ran the play you called, and you're getting upset at him. He's not yelling at you for not challenging two or three of those plays that could have easily changed the complexion of the game. But you're yelling at him. And when you yell at a quarterback like that, and you're that animated and on the national scene and outside for everybody to see, then what you're saying, Skip, is this is on him, not me. Hey, this is on him. Blame him for this. You see how upset I am at him? Because that's on him, and that's that's what you hate to see because – I mean, I just don't know what he could have done. You could have looked over at the line and said, hey, guard, back up a little bit. I've never seen a quarterback really adjust an offensive lineman or adjust an offensive line. You tell a receiver, hey, get on the ball, get off the ball. Hey, hey, tight end, get on the ball, get off the ball. Hey, back, get back or whatever the case may be. But I've never seen him say grab an offensive lineman and pull him back or whatever the case may be because they line up initially.
0: And keep that in mind, too, before we get into this. It like got talked about. You know, what's the quarterback's responsibility here? And Sherman hit exactly what I tried exactly to hint at. right. But I mean, th- look, whether you, whether you think that should have been called or not is irrelevant. It was technically against the rules. It got called. Quinn Miners is the right guard. When he is lined up, I'm not exaggerating. The football is about 30 inches from his face, give or take, not, not even right. three feet from his face. Two and a half. So look down and a little bit to the left, which he probably does every single play. That is on minors, and it's on minors alone. Line up on sides. You're a professional. You've played football all your life. You know what on sides is. Line up on sides. I get how it happens. I do. I get how it happens. It's a game played by humans. There's a clock going. I get it. At the same time, that's on minors. If Peyton's tantrum had continued on the sidelines. The cameras would have caught it, but he didn't go over to Quinn Miners and yell at him. You didn't have anyone else go over to Quinn Miners and yell at him. Just went on Wilson. And one of the points that Sherman makes is important because we talked about this earlier in the year in the preseason, as a matter of fact, when Dr. Rick Peria was here, and we talked about the way that Vance Joseph's body language and what it sent to the team. Now, make of it what you will, a week after that, Vance Joseph's body language dramatically changed. But it's what it conveys to your team and it's understanding the situation that's conveying that to the team. But Richard Sherman brings up another point. The Broncos were the third of three NFL games on a Saturday. We know how dominant the NFL is in viewership. There was one NFL going game going on. If you were watching football, football, just football, college pro, anything you were watching football on Saturday night. You were watching that game. You talk about situational awareness Sean Payton knows he's got the only show in town, and he still chose to do that. That's not if it's accidental. Then there's definitely concerns about the way Sean Payton coaches his team, because you can't control your temper enough to consider how that's going to factor in the way the rest of your teammate, the rest of the way your but, your charges look
2: at it. I think then, both then, things are then true. Then that's a problem. If it's I intentional, think he did it deliberately, and he can't control himself, and it could be he both. can't accept. Any responsibility for anything that goes wrong, it always has to be clear to everyone, anyone, and everyone. Not my fault. And you know what? Earlier, earlier in it it we up. were talking about officials it in the commercial are break. screwing me. The league is screwing me. Now he hasn't been on that bent for as much this no. year, but in other years until, he has until,
0: been. Until you mean since preseason?
2: Does no, he, he, since wasn't, pre-season. he wasn't. He was He was with Seth Wickersham. Not that long ago, with
0: uh, uh, and with um, I'm forgetting a uh, Jordan Hill USA uh, USA Today well, as well.
2: Yeah. well, that was with Hackett. Though. It, yeah, ostensibly defending, but, also, Wilson but I, yeah. But talked about the criticism how the, the league, issued
0: last year. But you're right. With Wickersham Bush. talking about how the league was, you know, kind of out to get him, and, and that was that was, yeah. that was this that was in this preseason. So that's part of it, and it, it's really, I, I'm not sure. In that particular case, what Wilson could do, and, and moreover, let's talk about that because maybe there's a little method to the madness. We talked about this during the break. Uh, I get that Peyton is not entirely wrong when you challenge spots on the field. They're not often changed, but they are changed from time to time. They are. He should have challenged the McLaughlin play, even if it's a long shot, because there was a chance the McLaughlin could have been in and it was a different down. It would have given you multiple more shots at it. True. That's the time to to use
2: it. That was the one to challenge.
0: Because then you would be able to set up your next plays. And the head coach is totally in control of that, and the head coach didn't do it. And instead of maybe somebody asking him that, because, of course, that would have been a very valid question to ask, now you deflect and you throw a fit at your quarterback. And anyone asking about that, say, 90-second span of time where you could say, boy, should you have maybe challenged that play? Because now it's all going to be about Peyton blowing up a Wilson. Right. So now you, it's easy to gloss over the fact that, you know what, just clock management, down management, that was the one to challenge. And you chose not to. And you did address it with it. well, they don't normally overturn it. Well, they no, don't o- normally overturn most calls. Right. Most calls right. are not overturned. Coaches
2: seem to want to challenge anyway. But if he was yelling at him because he got up too quickly to line a scrimmage, didn't give him enough time to look at the play so they couldn't challenge it. There are a thousand ways to express that without eviscerating Russell Wilson publicly in the manner that he did. I'm not even sure I've been thinking about it. That was my first reaction, that, he wanted to challenge, but he didn't have enough time, and Wilson got up to the line of scrimmage too fast. And maybe Wilson had been instructed to just hold off for a little bit so that they could look at it and decide whether to challenge. But that's not at all what Peyton communicated after the game. And Peyton's under this illusion that fans don't pay any attention, and even if they do, they're only fans, and most of them are stupid fans. That's always been Peyton's attitude, and it's why he was disliked in New Orleans, even though he was a big winner. In some circles, he was disliked in New Orleans. That's the reason he treated fans like dirt, um, at least in his professional capacity. Mm-hmm. I'm not speaking to the personal uh, good deeds he he did. Right. Uh, it, At all. I'm talking, that's always been his attitude. This is kind of Parcell's attitude. And frankly, it's the attitude of a lot of coaches that, um, the the public's great because they spend a lot of money on football. But do we have to explain ourselves to the public? You'd have to be a dope not to understand that when you're speaking to the media, you're addressing the fans, Right. You're addressing well, the fans at least through when, the media. You'd have to be a right. dope not to know that. Well, and he is not a dope. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care that he's despised out at the facility. He doesn't care that the players don't like him very much. And certainly, I'm guessing on the offensive side of the ball, they respect his knowledge And they may even respect his teaching ability. I don't think they view him as anything but a fossil, a dinosaur, a coach out of the 50s who's trying to act like Lombardi the way Parcells tried to act like Lombardi with considerably more success, by the way, than the junior version of Parcells has ever had.
0: It is a fascinating scenario that feels like it has been inevitable i mean even from the first game but even prior to that and some of this was the idea and you talk about the stuff with the media and i want to be careful with our colleagues but um that's an interesting part of this equation too where sean payton at times it's funny it's kind of come around at parts to his way of thinking because yes you're speaking to the fans through the media but the way that any particular media outlet or media representative chooses to portray that is very different as we know there are outlets that are associated with the team or teams that are incentivized or even contractually obligated to not ruffle too many feathers right and uh, you and i know that because we've we've both worked in those capacities before absolutely and for
2: uh, many many years and that's the, of that's that.
0: the reality and you also have more of a enthusiast media I guess the best way to put it that maybe didn't exist before. And that's, that's fine too. And you're still speaking to the fans, but these are the kind of days, Sandy, where I kind of look at it and think that, that this is sort of why, and maybe, maybe, you know, maybe we're, maybe we're fossils, maybe we're dinosaurs, but, but that's why this is why we're doing the things we're doing is because when you have people who are going to carry water for a team for various reasons, because look, it can be a little, it's a lot easier uh, hopefully, I think a lot of people believe it, to make sure the team is happy with you and then, then maybe you'll get a, an interview that you might otherwise not get or or something like that. And I don't know, we're too old for that crap. I'm <laughs> not going to deal with that nonsense anymore. Uh, and it, it's never been what we do. That, that's part of what this, this trick is. Part of this role in, in media should be and is, and I've talked about this before over the years, Consumer advocacy, because the two most valuable assets you probably have in this world are time and money in that order. And being a sports fan takes a lot of both. And so part of it is understanding in the media of our job is to portray to you what you're seeing so you can properly invest your time and money on something because you want to know what you're spending it on. And the truth of the matter is teams, as Sandy elucidated very clearly there, may not always have the same incentive, right? Would the Broncos like to win football games? You bet. Would they like to win Super Bowls? You bet they would. You bet they would. Is making sure the stadium's sold out maybe a first priority because that's more controllable than winning Super Bowls? Yeah, also yes. Making money is the first thing. Uh, That's the trick. Making money is the first thing. The new owners didn't go drop $4.5 billion for funsies. So you have to keep that in mind as well. But this is a problem for the Broncos, and I hate to tell y'all, it's not going away, and it's not going away even if Russell Wilson goes away. Because until the person who is in charge of the team takes responsibility for what's wrong with the team, when they lose games next year and maybe Russell, fine, get what you want. Russell Wilson's not here. I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to sign Dak Prescott. You're going to see if you can trade up to number one. That's not an option. You're going to believe you're good enough to go with Stidham and get the same results. Okay, fine. But when they win, you won't have Russell Wilson to kick around anymore, so who are you going to blame? The next guy? That's a job I'm sure somebody's dying to get. Goodness. Well, this weekend, the Colorado Avalanche played on Saturday and Sunday. They were the traveling team. They split back-to-back. The coaching was a little more, uh, I would say, uh, measured, even despite the loss. And the end result is the Avs bounced back with a win last night against the Sharks. Despite not having Cale McCart for both of them, we'll uh, divert for just a couple of minutes on the abs, and we'll get back to the Broncos at the top of the hour when Fox 31's Mick Miller joins us next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche had an uh, eventful weekend, some travel going on there. Of course, they started the weekend in Winnipeg on Saturday, where they were uh, beaten rather soundly by the Winnipeg Jets, six to two in that. Although worth noting, we talked about some of the coaching. Uh, Jared Bednar actually said uh, after the game, "I I know it sounds that." Like and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit of the exact quote in front of you. No, I, well, now I have it. Here you go. It's hard to say that you love a goalie's performance when you lose 6-2, but he made a ton of big saves, talking about Ivan Prosvatov.
2: Early in the game, he
0: did. Right. And uh, obviously, the, the Avs did not play well. They did not have Kel McCarr. They scored a couple of goals late, but by then it you know was 3-0, and then they coughed up another three in the third. But they, they did what you wanted to do. Devon Taves, after the game, spoke specifically about how the Avalanche needed to get more speed ...into the game. After the game, he talked about that. And that was his, his note. He needed to get more speed into their game. That clearly is who the Avalanche are. Well, that didn't take long, because they came out on Sunday against the Sharks at home, at back-to-back, second night. They're the team traveling. They come back uh, at home, and they blow the doors off of the Sharks. It's 3-0 after one, and at one point, it was 15-3 to in shots. I mean, it was absolutely. Uh, uh, they just came out and did what you're supposed to do against a bad team. Uh, they just ended the game early, and even though the the game ended up with the shots being somewhat similar, obviously the Avs were not particularly challenged. Uh, Georgiev in the net last night, but uh, neither game. Kamalcar still day to day with a lower body injury. And this but is a, a nice a, bounce I, back I suspect for the,
2: the same injury he's had for at least at least seven or eight months. I suspect it feels, it's the same lower body injury, whether it's ankle, knee, whatever. And it's going to need that requires maintenance s- and, and occasional rest. Yeah. And they're not going to push him. Uh, he's on the trip. Um, I know better than to assume that because you're on the trip, you're automatically going to play. We've, we've seen it happen before where guys travel with the team. And they haven't played even though they're said to be close. So I'm not assuming he'll play tomorrow night against the Blackhawks in Chicago, but I I don't think it's a terribly serious injury from the way they're talking about it. Um, you know, it's hockey, so they're never going to be specific. But it strikes me
0: as what you're talking about. This is a nagging injury from time to time. It's going to act up and he's
2: going to have to sit out a couple games here and there. And that's just what it is. That's just what it is. And I will say, uh, I will say this, um, I was reading Peter Bauer's piece, I think it was Peter's piece today, on the Avalanche on McKinnon, and it, rightly so, McKinnon is the best player in the world right now. I mean, he's on an amazing streak, whether you're talking about the home games this year, you're talking about uh, the 15-game point streak. Uh, you go. You go back to the latter portion of last year. However, you want to cut it. He had six six
0: points in these last two games this weekend. It, it, six. He's
2: sick. The way he's playing, it, he's so good, and he is dragging along with him, not only his partners on the first line, but the other three lines. Right now, he's dragging them along too. So, on the other three lines. Bednar can mix and match and go on hunches and knows the first line is going to produce because McKinnon every game is giving you at least a point. He, he got an empty number last night,
0: uh, but also was, you know, frustrated with himself. Couldn't quite get past Mitchell Blackwood on a partial breakaway. But yeah, he has been absolutely electric. Just Let me say unbelievable.
2: This. And you agree, I'm sure. There were some comments made by fans about how the Avalanche are getting more attention and more praise than they deserve uh, on particular websites or particular writers and so on. And I say it's very simple. Without Arturi Lekinnan and without Kale McCarr, the Avalanche aren't a Stanley Cup contender. No. Those are two with top Kale Kale McCarr and with Arturi Lekanen, they are. That's it. If they're healthy. That's yeah, it. if they're healthy, they're well, a tough contender. I, I'm sure. saying if they Absolutely. have those two guys, <laughs> yeah. McKinnon Rant and in reasonably good health. And and that doesn't mean they uh, you know, all have to play each and every game from here on out. What I'm saying is they're in first place. And I get it. Right. They were in third before the game started. It was San Jose, and they're in first largely because they played more games than Winnipeg's play than Dallas has played. I understand. Their point percentage is third in the division. But whether you finish first, second, or third, in any division, you're automatically in the playoffs. And if the Avs are healthy, nobody's going to want to go up against them and I think at that's any it. point in the playoffs. If they have McCarr and they have Lekanen, and, you know, it, I'm sorry, but you, you look at Somebody like Druen,
0: for example. Who, by the way, uh, second, um, uh, nobody but McKinnon had six points this weekend. Randon had two. Druen had three. Nobody else had more than one, but here, here's Druen with, by the way, uh-huh. three points in two games? Well,
2: what I'm saying is you, you look at Druen, and he had one point in the first 10 games mm-hmm. and he's had 11 points in the last 19. He's coming along. So, if you extrapolate that and he's a 40- 40 to 45-point producer this year. You're telling me you can't live with that? Are you
0: serious? Given, given what you paid Are you and serious? what you're hoping for, yeah, that's fantastic. I,
2: I, I know a guy who's kind of on that pace for the year who plays in Calgary who used to play here, and everybody's bemoaning the fact that the Avs don't have a second-line center like Nazem Kadri anymore. It, Jonathan Drouin, who's making a hell of a lot less money, <laughs> I believe in Cadry one eighth is on pace over the last 19 games. If he keeps this pace up, he'll be in relatively the same point production range as Cadry's in. And, and Drew and has been on the first line. He's been on the second line. He's been on the third line. Heck, I think for a game or two, he's on a fourth line. You're not expecting 70, 80 points out of him, Right. You're only expecting 40 every other game. And the funny thing is,
0: even if he doesn't pick it up, Sandy, even if he doesn't pick it up, he's still on pace for about 35 points, which is not amazing. But even if he doesn't pick up the pace at all. He has, though, over the last 19 games. That's
2: my point. Yeah, I know. I get uh, it. I'm saying it's. And McKinnon, who's his buddy, said his problem the first 10 games was that he was deferring to everybody. And he wanted to be polite, and he didn't want to shove his sweater. And I saw him the other night, maybe it was last night, I can't remember which game, but I I remember the sequence, where in order to make a play, he went through not one but two hard checks, Mm -hmm. kept control of the puck, made a pass that led to a goal. I think it was the wood goal, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. Last night. Yes,
0: it was. I believe that's right. So was the, the, that's yeah, fine. The and
2: that looked like a perfectly productive second line to me: Colton, centering Wood and Ruin. Looked like perfectly functional. And if Johansson plays a third line uh, between Cogliano and O'Connor, and Johansson I'm okay got a with goal that. last night. I'm okay with that. And maybe it'll get Johansson working a little harder. That was Jared Bednar's thought, and Bednar said after the game that in a long while. A long while is the best game that Johansson has played. Yeah. Playing yeah. with Cogliano and O'Connor, because if you're not playing hard, you'll stick out. Oh, with those two guys? Yeah. With those two guys who play hard all the time. And I love the fact that he put McDermott back in the lineup on that fourth line with Olofsson and Kiviranta. And McDermott, um, how shall we say, Made his presence Yeah, added a little
0: night. uh grit as in the hockey terminology would, would go. But
2: also, you know, three shots uh on on and net I, uh, you know what? Not being a zero offensively. I'm not gonna say I'm glad they traded Tatar, but you know what? They're up to something. Oh, yeah, of course. They're up to something because they got rid of that one and a half million dollar salary for a return they that they can't use. Up to something. Certainly. I don't know what it is, but they're up to something to trade him. They didn't trade him. They traded the salary yeah. for a fifth-round pick, which means they're up to something. And I'm not saying Detar wouldn't have come around here. I suspect he well, might he have. He actually was starting to turn a corner in, okay. in the last week or so. But yeah. he's not – where do you put him? Right. Even with and out. And if, I understand it may be another couple of months with Lekanen. Certainly at least six weeks. Well, I'm thinking they're talking five, six weeks before Lekanen's ready to play again. So that's late January, early February. But when he comes back, especially when he comes back, there's no room for Tatar. Even if Tatar is playing well, you're not going to bench Wood. You're not going to bench Colton. I guess you could bench uh, Johansson, but you know, if if Lekkinen comes back, he's a winger, and so is Tatar. Lekanen is going to play, and Tatar would be a healthy right. scratch. They made the move because they're up to something. They are. They're, uh, they're going Friedman to use that million Sportsnet. and a half dollars. Something. Yeah,
0: up in Canada, Sportsnet, Elliot Friedman, who's a great reporter on these sort of things, uh, have. Made the same argument, and it was a you know it's a salary move. Uh, Johansson is – getting Johansson going is part of that too because the, the $4 million deal may need to be moved depending on what they're trying to – And acquire. they're only
2: paying half right. of his salary, the, uh, which is more than it The big, more the big it should fish
0: be. is is uh, Elias Lindholm of Calgary, who Calgary at the age of 29 has decided they're probably not going to be able to keep. He's a free right. agent at the end of the year, so he'd be a rental. And for the Avalanche, I don't know if you could go into a lab and draw up a better second-line center than Lindholm for
2: the Avs. Uh, but I'd about, go into a lab and be happy to draw him up as yeah, a first-line center.
0: Right. And the problem He's is a good about 10 other contending teams would say the same. So uh, that would be sort of the prize. Sure. Uh, but the Avs could be looking at it. Keep in mind, over Mile High Sports, Eric Dean, who you here on this program, has a good story about that actually right there today. But Nathan McKinnon, by the way, keep in mind, 15-game point streak. But here we are with the Avalanche, and we're 31 games into the season. He's the Hart Trophy winner right now. Nathan McKinnon has only been held scoreless twice.
2: All we're, year. We're more than a third of the way all into year. the
0: season. Two times all year has Nathan McKinnon mm-hmm. been held scoreless. He, Two.
2: He, he's the Hart Trophy winner. That's he's the Hart Trophy ridiculous. winner. Ridiculous. And been he should have won five years ago. But this year, I think he will win the heart
0: and the more McCarr is out the less that's going to split the votes between the two of those guys as well Avs will take on the Blackhawks tomorrow we'll talk about that uh, as well of course uh, we'll touch on that tomorrow and Wednesday after the game but we'll turn our attention back to the Broncos where now uh, they need a little bit of help now they're still in a an somewhat enviable spot because they are playing three teams that are definitely playing out string But we'll find out how it goes. We'll break it all down with our friend from Fox 31, Mick Miller, joins us next on My Life Sports.